Jesus Christ. And as we do this, it all reaches back to this old womb that's not able to bring life to bear. Isn't that interesting? Super cool, because you can actually get all the way to how you and I are to be missionaries in the city today from that passage. So if we were to go on, let's just jump back into verse 8. 21, same chapter, look at verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Uh-oh, different word. That word's actually an intensification of the word laughter. It actually means mockery as well. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son, okay? So nothing like a little family drama to screw up a good season because <laughs> things are going well, and now they're just not well. Typically, to be weaned, you need to be around two or three years of age. That's how old Isaac is whenever this passage is being read, but, but understand that it was 86 years of age when Abraham had Ishmael. Typically, when we grew up with all the um, maybe Sunday school coloring books, we imagine Ishmael and Isaac to be approximately the same age, right? Ishmael's a teenager. He's a teenager right around this time where Isaac is a toddler. And what's happening? Ishmael is laughing and mocking the toddler. Seems like a very teenage boy thing to do, does it not? I mean, this is kind of normal fare for a teenage boy. We like to do things or make other things happen or maybe provoke an action where we can laugh and we can mock. I was a teenage boy. It's just this what we do. Had you two, I was thinking about this this morning. Had you two been around way back whenever I was a kid, way back in the 1960s, right, whenever I was a teenager, I would have invented the cinnamon challenge. I would have invented the ghost chili pepper challenge. I would have invented any situation where I could go to a friend into doing something totally stupid just so I could hold the camera and cackle and laugh, right? This is just what teenagers do. But Sarah sees it as a threat. It's a threat. It's more than just a mocking one kid acting like a kid to another kid, right? Because you remember, Ishmael is older. He's the firstborn. And so Sarah understands that there might be some contention, and she's already got some relational contention with Hagar anyway, so this is as good a time as any to just go ahead and set everything straight. Get this kid out. He's not going to contend for the heir role with my son because my son we've waited 25 years for. He is the heir. I know it might feel like it should be more glamorous than that, what's going on in this passage, but it is not. That is what's happening, right? So Abraham is bummed out because, after all, Ishmael is his son. God knows what that feels like. He sent his son too. God the Father is all about knowing the pain of a son leaving his presence, right? So let's look back, verse 12, go forward just a little bit more. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. 
For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So we see God being sweet to this single mom. We see God being sweet to this very treacherous situation. And because of it, Ishmael's going to be what the Bible later on says, the prince of 12 different princes. A lot of the Arab nations will spring from his bloodline. But that is the text for us today. And it bears asking, why is this dysfunctional family moment, even in the Bible, and what does it mean for you and me? I mean, what exactly are we supposed to pull away from a passage like that, right? And I think in order to get the answer, you have to zoom out and then look forward to the New Testament. We've talked in past sermons how scripture does a very good job of interpreting itself and a lot of times new testament passages will give insight and decode something that we're trying to read in the old testament and very often the old testament is pointing forward and helping us interpret the new testament and this is a classic case example of scripture interpreting scripture because if you zoom forward many ages and you land in the new testament you will find paul talking to a church that's going through a struggle right? He's talking to the church of Galatia. In fact, if you have a Bible, we're done with Genesis. Flip over to Galatia if you can. The book of Galatians in chapter 4. If not, again, we will put this on the screen, but it's always helpful to follow along. He is talking to a church that is struggling with heresy and false teaching. There's great persecution on the church, and he's having to be kind of, he's having to be kind of bold with them. I guess you can say it that way. So I'm going to start in 421, all right? Tell me, Paul says, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Okay, so here he is. He's actually reaching back. He's grabbing from the passage we're working in today. That's talking about Sarah. It's talking about Hagar, right? But the son of the slave woman, oh, let me just say it this way. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. Paul is telling us how to read this passage. He's saying it has the power of allegory. So this is kind of the key. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children from slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to this present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. And then he changes gears. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the child of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, now he's synthesizing everything. 
He's taking his arguments against the church and what they're doing. He's reaching back to Genesis. He's pulling it in. He's throwing it in a blender, and he's going to make a cogent thought for this church. He says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatian believers were doing this, particularly the leaders. They were taking new converts, people who were new in the Lord, and they were saying, you must do some other things in order to really be a Christian. And for them, it was circumcision. That's what they were struggling with. They might find a new convert, and they might say, hey, it's pretty cool what God's doing in your life. Obviously, God's doing some stuff, but there's actually some work to do. It's time for you to stand on your own two feet. And the problem Paul has with this is it's minimizing and decreasing the power of the gospel. Because if you and I have work to do, if there's clocking in that we need to do, that means that Jesus didn't do enough. It means that his work was insufficient on the cross and not sufficient on the cross. But if what he did is sufficient and it has done everything, then there is no work for us to do. That's what's going on. I mean, I want you to imagine a church service here maybe. Maybe even today. If someone were to come up to me and say, Hey, Pastor Luke, listen, I don't even know how to say this, but I think I'm a Christian. I'm not sure. I, I just feel like God is doing something in my heart. I, I, I don't want to have anything to do with my sin anymore. I feel like God is talking to me. I want this new thing called Christianity. And, and is there basically rehearsing what very likely is a regenerative moment in their life where they're becoming a new creation? It would be like me stopping them right in the middle of confession and saying, whoa, 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 Turbo, listen. I'm sure it's true, you're feeling emotional, maybe God is doing some things, but as I'm looking at what you've got with you, you don't have a King James Version Bible on you right now. You gotta get one of those. And then we gotta baptize you, by the way, or else it's not really official. There's, there's work to do. Oh, and that's smoking? Gotta quit that. Gotta put it down. Gotta do this, gotta do that. There's about 93 things you need to do before we say, yeah, that's a Christian. That's what the Galatians were doing. That would be a Galatian mistake to say God's work is not strong enough for you to lean on. You must also stand on your own two feet. So Paul, with all the Old Testament at his disposal, he picks the passage we're in today, which seems like an odd fit. I mean, it's a tough passage. I don't know that I would pull it out for anything, but Paul finds it to be a very useful passage. He says... And don't go back, I'll just read it to you. Cast out the slave woman. Get her out of there. Cast out the slave woman, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Paul says, so brothers, we're not children of slavery. We're children of freedom. We're kids of freedom. And it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, so stand firm and don't go back to slavery. The translation is there is no room for both leaning on crutches and throwing crutches down. No room, no room. You have to expel, just as Abraham did Ishmael, you have to expel your best idea in order to choose God's best idea. Because that is what Ishmael was. Ishmael was Abraham's best idea. 
There was a time, there was a time where Abraham was struggling with the fact that his wife was not fertile, struggling with the fact that she was menopausal, struggling with the fact that year after 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 year, and city after city, no baby, no heir, just nothing. You know he cooked up this moment where he said, I don't have to lean on this crutch. God, I've got a plan. It's a pretty good plan. It's one where I'm in control, and I don't have to wait on you anymore. So hear me out, right? (laughs) My wife, I don't know if you could tell, Lord, she's not cranking out kiddos anymore. That's done. She's old. I'm old. But I've got this slave woman over here. I've got this servant over here, and she could crank out kids anytime. She's young. I got it. What if I just make a baby with her? That sounds like a good idea, right? I mean, hear me out. It sounds like a good idea, right? I mean, that's what he's doing. He is replacing God's best idea for his best idea, and it allows him to get off the crutch of waiting and trusting on Jesus, and it allows him to stand on his own two feet. So Paul is capturing the essence of that, and he's saying, basically, church, you are going back to slavery when you are going back to your best ideas and discounting God's best idea. God's best idea is that the work is over, rest is here. Your best idea is that rest might come, but you have work to do. That's the problem. I will say freedom for you and me is found on a crutch. Freedom is found on crutches where we wait and we trust and we lean and we're not the champion because we serve a champion. And how severe must we be in this? So severe that we're expelling our best ideas for God's. I mean, look how, look how extreme Abraham was. He sent his son out the door. Pretty extreme. Pretty extreme. So again, I agree with Jesse Ventura and all the other horde of mockers and laughers because I also agree with Paul. Paul says this. This will be on the screen, so stay where you're at in Galatians or in Genesis. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Right? Put yourself in this passage. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Isn't that interesting? God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Listen, I think I have a sharp mind sometimes, but even at its sharpest, it's really weak and I need Jesus. I think I have pretty good self-discipline and willpower. I've always thought of myself that way, but I know even on my best days, I have a very weak will and I need Jesus. I I know I'm not the only one in the room that says I didn't have a bad daddy, right? I don't hate my parents. I mean, I, I had a pretty good dad, and still I have daddy issues. I think everyone in the room, by the way, has daddy issues. <laughs> That's a different sermon. I think we all share that struggle. I like to think of myself as, as courageous in different opportunities, but I know even on my most courageous days, I'm fearful of the unknown, and I need Jesus. What I really need is a crutch. I need to lean all of my weight on Jesus for all of my life, for all of my life expelling my best idea and taking all of Jesus, taking God's best idea. I need Jesus to be my crutch, my uber Adam, the one who comes and undoes everything that Adam does because when you think about it, Adam did what? He stood on his own two feet. Jesus comes as a second Adam and he's elevated above and pierced in both of his feet 
at his cost for our benefit. It's really a beautiful picture of the gospel when you think about it, right? I mean, this is the gospel, good news invading and flooding out dark spaces. That's what this is. Gospel says that freedom is found on a crutch where we're leaning, we're depending, we're relying. And it allows you and me to stop hobbling around, acting like we don't need it. It allows you and I to stop looking inside for the problem when you just realize we are the problem. We are the problem. Yet God visited, intervened, visited you and me, right? Sending Jesus to die for us at the right time. Not when we were strong, not when we were put together, not when we were better than culture, but when we were broken, weak, needy, and needed something to hold our weight up because we just can't do it. Can't do it. That's what I love about the gospel. It cuts the legs out from underneath our arrogant swagger. It just won't let us do that. The gospel hands out crutches. <laughs> the gospel says, welcome to the weak. Welcome to the needy. Welcome to ideas that are not your own. And listen, some of you hate what I'm saying right now. I'm just going to say, I did not make this up, right? I didn't make it up. We didn't do anything to save ourselves. If you're a Christian today, you did not pull yourself up out from underneath the mud. You were picked up. You didn't administrate your own little adoption. You were adopted as an orphan into a royal bloodline that you don't belong in. Right? You didn't free yourself from prison. You're just not that awesome. He freed us from prison. We didn't do CPR on our own dead spiritual state. He, bro he just breathed the Spirit of God into us and raised us from the dead. We just didn't do anything. We were weak, and God rescued broken creation through the person of Jesus, and that is God's best idea. It is his best idea, and it is my crutch, hated by the world, loved by the church. You know, the one verse we didn't read on purpose is the verse after everything we read in Galatians. Paul has one more verse, in, second verse in chapter 5. After he said everything that he wanted to say up to this point, he gets their attention, and he says, look, look. You can tell he's just kind of at that point in the conversation where he's just trying to bring it together and get everyone's attention and just arrest their suspicions for a moment and just say, look, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Translation, the gospel doesn't save those who think they can save themselves. God won't save those that are just saving themselves. Now, the issue for you and me is not circumcision. It's not circumcision, right? It's not something that we all fight and get all weird about right now. But where is it in your life that you are deciding that Jesus is not enough? He's just not enough. The work he did, it just wasn't sufficient. So you've got to stand on your own two feet. Your best ideas are better than his best ideas. Where is it that you're just tired of waiting on God to do something? You're just tired. You just want him to get out of the way. Maybe bless your plans. What does that look like for you? Careful before you say nowhere. Because when we sin, this is one of the roots to our sin. One of the root components to how you and I sin just on a basic daily level is just by saying my ideas are better than your ideas. Your ideas are always holding me back. You're impeding me. You're actually oppressing me. But if you just get out of the way, I could get what I want to get. Isn't that not sin? We're all doing it. All of us do it to some degree or another. So if I was to put this into any kind of application before we get out of this, I'm going to look at one more passage. I know we've got a lot of passages today. 
But in 2 Corinthians, we see Paul saying something really cool. It's very helpful for me anyway. And this is in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. I'm just going to jump right into it. So to keep me from being conceited, maybe having an arrogant swagger, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He even agrees with Jesse Ventura. I'm, I, Paul says, I'm fine being weak. I mean, is that like a cut down? Are you like cutting me down because you're saying that I'm weak? Okay, I guess. I mean, I'm fine with that, to be honest with you. But I don't think he was always fine with that. I mean, I don't know what, where, the, where the turn happened, where the pivot was in Paul's life, but let's just pretend that it was a month earlier. Let's go back six weeks. I wonder what his prayer sounded like before this revelation came to Paul. I think it might have sounded a little bit more like, if you would just get rid of this thorn, I could start crushing it. Look at what I could do if it wasn't for this dumb thorn holding me back. How many times have I been praying for this? Lord, what are you doing? I've got ideas. I've got a better way than what you've got. I think he probably sounded like this because I think this is probably how Abraham sounded. Lord, if you would just breathe on my plan, I could crush it. You've been talking on and on about our family line, blessing all the families of the world. It's 20-something years later. It's not happening. If you just blow on this situation with Ishmael and get out of the way, we could finally get to work. You see Adam did it. You see Abraham doing it. I know Paul struggled with it. I know that because I struggle with it. Lord, my plan is a pretty good one. I thought of it, and I can control it, and I don't have to wait on you anymore. Right? All I need you to do, Lord, is just bless my little thing and get out of the way. Because I am strong, mighty, and I don't need to lean on you as a crutch. I could do it all myself. Just move. Just would you do this finally? That's how I could sound. I think that's how a lot of us can sound. We could save ourselves. I think some of us in this room, I think we refuse to be weak and reliant upon God and we live to dazzle other people and even dazzle the Lord himself, hoping that people will think that we're put together and in no need of rescue. We don't need a crutch. I've got my stuff together. Listen, that's a Galatian error. That's a Galatian error. where we feel like as Christians, we actually contribute to the cross. Oh, I've got something to add to what Jesus did. I can contribute. It's a Galatian. It requires repentance because, again, the gospel is only fit for those who limp. It's only fit for those who need help. And I think some of us in here think our best idea is so much better than God's best idea. And I think there's repentance there as well. I think we need to repent there as well and go through extreme measures to expel our best ideas and accept God's best ideas even when it doesn't feel like it's going to work out very well even when we know it's going to take longer and be more painful because that's typically where we out is because God's best idea requires some pain well, I'm out I got a better idea and I think that requires some repentance too right 
And then I think there's some of us in this room that are ready to stop standing on their own two feet and maybe join the rank of the crutch-laden people. It's the best way I can say it. Maybe you've realized that you cannot save yourself. You've realized that it's just not working. And by the way, that realization you're having, if that is in fact you, you didn't come up with that. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you because you're just not smart enough to come up with those ideas. I mean, you just, you're, not cre- you're not created in such a way to maneuver your own spiritual state. God has visited you through the person of the Holy Spirit and brought a beautiful revelation to you. And that revelation is you are not right right now. And you cannot hold your own spiritual weight. And you need, you need to depend and lean all of your weight on God. Lean all of your weight and trust in the work that God has done for all of us. So maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now. Maybe he's changing your heart right now, and maybe he's giving you courage. Maybe he's giving you courage to answer this, right? Maybe even today. Go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to pray us out of this and pray us into worship. And by the way, if this is one of your first two times or so to legacy, whenever we do worship, that's also the segment of time that we have communion in the back. So you'll have bread and you'll have juice back there and what we would encourage you to do is go back there maybe with friends or family and lead each other through communion so you have the freedom to do that at any point in these songs right so whenever you see people milling and moving around it's not a mass exodus right people are just going back to take communion and then they're typically coming back up front if you're new and you're a christian we just open up that table of blessing to you but listen if you're not a christian today that is something that god has given just his church we would encourage you not to take communion but rather to take Jesus instead and if that's something that you feel like God is wanting to do with you today I'd love for you to come up and talk to me talk to me or anyone that you see up on stage today as they lead in worship anyone that looks like they're running something around here pull somebody aside and just say I think God is doing something because this is how it works just in case you're new to this whole thing we don't really know what words to say right we know something's going on but we don't really know what to say we're like, ah, I'm real nervous, my heart's right, I, I, but I don't even know how to explain to somebody what's going on. That's perfect. We're experts and trained on how to help you with that, okay? So come up and talk to us and let us help you maybe sort some of that stuff out because we'd love to pray with you and answer any questions you have. Okay, Father, we thank you for being so good to us. I thank you that there was a time, Lord, which you showed me that the most beautiful place I could ever be is leaning on you. Now, I agree with Paul. I'm content with being weak. I am content. I think I'm just done. I, at least I want to be done. Throwing crutches down and pretending that I don't need you, pretending that my, my uh, ideas are better, my way is better, my timing is better, and then creating Ishmaels all around me. But Father, you are doing something beautiful among us, and we don't always understand that. We don't always understand your timing or your way. But Lord, we trust you. And I know even as I pray in this house, there are people in here right now listening to my voice that have been selecting and embracing their own best ideas because it's less painful and it's more expedient than leaning into what you are doing in their life, what you are asking them to do. So, Father, we don't want to make a Galatian error. So, Father, we love you, and as we worship, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to minister to us, to speak to us, to pastor us, to challenge us, 
to give us courage and to lead us. You're so sweet, and your news is so beautiful, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.
some of the people that maybe invited you today, turn to somebody and say, hey, what is this gospel? What is this good news? What is this gold? And then beloved, those of us that are believers, let us pray for greater heart expansion by the Spirit of God. And let us go with Christ to the ends of the world. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for your love, your goodness, and your kindness. God, as I think about the people in Thailand, just seeing firsthand that even for 10 years of being there and meeting students just about every day on the campus and only coming, coming across one student who was even a Christian in 10 years, God, may your gospel continue to go forth right there in Concan. God, may it go forth right here in Knoxville. God, would you use Legacy Church to reach this city? Go with us to plant more churches here in this city and propel us, Lord, into the unreached places of this world. God, over, this, over these next years, would you send us into all the world for your name and for your glory. May we receive and have the privilege of taking gold, of bringing water to people. Thank you. Thank you that you give us the privilege of being a part of your name being known. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. A welcome and congratulations, right? You are feeling the stretch marks of discipleship. It's a thin place. It's a very thin place. Some of you are in this room. Some of you are here and you were sinning, actively sinning, because you were actively choosing not to trust and to not obey. You put it aside in your mind every time it comes up. Every time that thing that you do or are not doing comes up, you change the topic and the conversation in your mind because you can't even, you can't even sit to think about it for very long. You make excuses and convoluted reasons why it's okay for you to do that thing or not do that, oh, that, that thing. You, you think that you're an exception, like you're unique. You've probably even found some Bible passages that maybe sound like if you can twist them around enough that they might even back up what you're doing or not doing. And even right now, you're probably trying to convince yourself, I'm not talking to you actively. Now listen, the only application for you today is to repent because you have seen not just an occupied tomb, but an empty tomb. And the same Holy Spirit that raised our hero from the dead and folded those clothes and set them there, right there. That same Holy Spirit is alive in you. You were not enslaved to sin. So when you take communion, you need to repent and beg the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to obey and to trust. Join Joseph. Join Nicodemus. Be courageous, even if it's fearfully courageous. And then I feel like there's probably people in this room that they hear a sermon like this and they can't even conceive of a place in their life where trusting and obeying is even costly. I would again say to step your game up. Wake up. It's likely, statistically likely, that your neighbors back home, wherever you live, are far from Jesus. They're not just dying. They are spiritually dead. 
They will not hear the gospel unless somebody preaches to them. 85% of the city is in that place. Listen, man, missionaries are needed. Missionaries are needed. Churches have to be planted. I mean, hear me now. It's not an option. Church planting is not a bell or a whistle that is on some cooler churches. We have to plant churches. Right now, right now, we are not even planting enough churches to take care of the population growth of Knoxville. We can't even keep up with the rate of the city's growth. We have to plant. It's not an option. We have to plant churches. We've got to reach the campus. That is far from an option. That is the future direction of our entire culture. We have to do these things. We, 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 we have to give and give deeply to Syrian refugees. We have to pray for the homeless sleeping on Magnolia right now. We have to be active about our neighborhoods. We have to do these things. Disciples have to be made. That's not an option. The gospel must be preached. And these truths will cost us everything. So friend, if trusting God is easy for you, you are missing it. You must wake up. All of those things ought to be calling us into dangerous places where, yes, life will never be the same again. Never. Some of you maybe came here and today you find yourself very far from God. But your passions are being stirred. That feeling that you have of your passions being stirred, that's the dead person in you becoming alive, right? Now, if I wasn't a good theologian, I would tell you just to yield to it and to accept Jesus into your life. But listen, you don't have a choice. <laughs> what God wants, he gets. He's a hunter who never misses. And if he is quickening your heart right now to see your sin for the first time and to respond with joy and thanksgiving, it's going to happen. What I would say to you in this time is find somebody today. Find me today. I can't wait to meet you to maybe help you navigate through what we're talking about. Maybe it's kind, of, kind of help you understand a little bit of what's going on as this heart of stone is ripped out and a heart of flesh is put in its place. Go ahead and stand with me. I've got to land this. We can land in a place of celebration, though, because soon, in this passage, death will be mocked. No smell of death. $32,000 worth of myrrh. It's just going to smell good, but it's not going to extinguish the smell of death because there won't be any. It's wasted money almost, isn't it? In fact, the only thing that's going to be buried that day is death itself. And that's good for you, and that's good for me. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for being so sweet and so kind to us. Lord, even from the early days of my walk with you, you showing me how costly trust and obedience would be. Father, I know that there is not a single growth spurt in my Christian life that did not call me out on the ledge, that did not put me way out there where I knew that nothing would be the same again. And I don't just have stretch marks, I have scars because it was costly. And Father, I still don't have some of those friends back. I definitely don't have any of that respect and honor. I don't have, there's so many things I don't have. Lord, that we would be a church that would be 
able to let go of this world and to grab another. That we would recognize the thin places and the ground that we, that we walk on and to know that heaven is scraping the pavement right now and I'm being called out of this slumber, this stuttering, weak, hesitant disobedience. God, you are so good to us because even when we fail in these things, your hug does not get looser. And even when we fail in these things, your grace does not get diluted or watered down, which just shows how beautiful you are. Lord, we thank you for an empty tomb. And I thank you for the picture and the narrative and the commentary that that full tomb says to me. There really is a cost. And because you paid it, I am very free to pay it now. Let me go that I may die also. Lord, let that be an echo in our hearts. Fathers, we take communion, and as we worship, and as we, we think, and as we ponder, let repentance be in our heart for the places that we are slow to obey. Let there be repentance in our heart for, for not even seeing with good, clear eyes. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would even open up our eyes to see where we, where we are being called out, where people are dying all around us, where things are coming apart, where we could be active, where we could obey, where we could trust. You're so good and you're so sweet and we are so thankful. We worship you and it's in your name we pray. Thank you free. His work cleans you. His life, death, and life brought you new life. You don't have to be a performance artist. I think the pilots in the room, something you carried in here with you, something maybe it's been coming up in your devotional times if you have them, Maybe just as you're driving around, you're reminded of something, something that you feel like is in your life that if you could just get rid of, you would be living a totally different life. But you can't decide to get rid of it. And you've started to build a narrative and coddle that thing. Whatever that sin is that you're depending on, you've started to coddle it, right? Building a, a storyline, a narrative with different facts that you have a palate for, that you can tolerate. Friends, listen, you need to beg the Holy Spirit today. Beg the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to change, to let God be king in your life. You cannot offload that. Ask Pilate how that worked for him. You cannot. And then I know that there are those who are religious. And I just have to say your works are a statement of unbelief. Whenever we work to impress God, that is not just an okay neutral thing. That is actually saying, God, your work for me was insufficient. I must add to it. It's a cry of unbelief. Friends, you too need the Holy Spirit. We, I can do that. We need the Holy Spirit to say, I work and I behave and I perform because I love Jesus and I can't get enough of Jesus, but not because it's going to get me anything that I don't already have. That has to be the cry of our heart, and that can't happen without the Holy Ghost either. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for being so good to us. I thank you for characters like Barabbas. I thank you for characters like Pilate. They don't get a lot of airtime. But when I do see them, I see myself so clearly. And I'm so thankful that you give us these moments of just kind of looking a little bit more deeply in a mirror. So, Father, I pray for the broken hearts that are in here, broken by 
whatever sin that they're in, broken by their best performance that's not cutting it. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be manifest in their life today. That you would come and that you would change our hearts. You would readdress our posture. So Lord, that courage that we need to follow you, real truth, no alternatives, no propaganda. And Lord, that the Holy Spirit would bring us courage to lay down our works and our spit and our polish in order to impress you, but that we would relax and rest and enjoy you with a life one. That yeah, we would behave and we would perform, but it wouldn't get us any more love. We're just doing it because we've experienced your love so beautifully. And when we fail, you love us no less. You're so sweet to us. And we're so thankful. So Lord, as we take communion in families and in small groups while the music's going, and as we worship and as we see the words and as we sing, Lord, that you would wrestle with us and bring the truth to us. It is not slippery, but yes, it can be abrasive. And help us tackle it. Help us apply it to our lives. So, Lord, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. And listen, before we start, if you need someone to talk to, I'll be over here on the side. We have leaders in the, in the back corner over there. David is over there. If you'd love to talk to somebody and you need to talk to somebody, feel free to come and talk to us. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you.
Amen. Hey, uh, just a couple quick announcements. Is Kevin in here? Kevin Gentry? Where's Kevin? Oh, come on up, Kevin. Sorry, I didn't even see Kevin there standing there. Kevin's going to introduce us to, to something he wants to, wants to share with us this morning, so I'm going to let him get after it. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I'm Kevin, um, if, you, if you don't know me, um, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I just wanted to talk to you for just a few minutes about something uh, that's kind of new. Um, and, and coming off of this sermon that was uh, beautifully uh, just opening the word to us by uh, Luke, man, that, that's really going to help me with this. Um, that was a helpful sermon. That was really a blessing um, to me, and I, I'm sure it was to all of us. But um, our mission as a church uh, to the city is to lead people to enjoy Jesus, to lead people to enjoy his gospel, and to do that in community. And so, now we, we've got a lot of, uh, of neat things happening in our church that we're growing in that. I'll just say that. We've got leaders on campus through campus outreach. Uh, we've got uh, communities, and you've seen uh, several of them coming up in the past few weeks talking about the innovative and creative ways that they are going on mission to the city, just taking the good news of Jesus with uh, the word on their lips and with their lives. And so what I wanted to talk to you this morning is just a new, uh, I think, exciting way. You may think it's exciting. You may not. But uh, of taking the good news of Jesus to the city. And it's through the avenue of visual art. Now, you might be an artist sitting in here, or you might know someone, because you may not be. Uh, and I don't, when I say artist, I don't want you to picture just the, um, you know, the, the typical guy with the little curly mustache, you know, and, the, and, the, and the, the beret that's like off to the side, you know, and he's holding the, or maybe you're picturing Bob Ross, I don't know, but, and they're just painting away, and he's awesome too, by the way, I, I'm not a hater, but, or was awesome, but anyway, they, they're painting away, okay, that's great. But there are a lot of different kinds of visual art, especially in this day and age. You may be a photographer. You may be a, uh, a videographer. You may paint. You may use ceramics. You may, I mean, the list goes on and on. So it's a, it's a really broad thing. So just have that in mind when I'm talking to you. What we want to do, we've had a couple, we've tried this, and we've had a little bit, a couple of false starts. But, you know, I'll be honest with you. We really can't get this out of our soul. I can't get it out of my soul. One of the beautiful things that Jesus has done when he saved us is he's redeemed our work and made it worth something. He did that, regardless of what your work is. I don't care what it is. It may have nothing to do with art. He's done that. And so as we're living together in community with each other and the world is watching, our work should be different. It should be for, it's motivated differently, and it looks different. It's, it has a different purpose. And that's no less true for the artist, which is work, than any other kind of work. So if you are that person, you're out there, and you, you, you're an artist, maybe you think it doesn't matter uh, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you do think it's ma it matters, but you don't know how to connect with community and do it with other people. 
then I'm inviting you. And I'm going to be out front in the foyer, and I'd like you to talk to me. What we're going to do is build a community of artists, and we're doing it already. Okay, I've already got my daughter, by the way, and Salem Plog is with us, and, and there's some others who's, who've expressed interest. But what we want to do is build a community of artists who work with the understanding that you become better at your work when you do it together than when you do it alone. You, you just do. And when you serve, when we serve the city together, they get a clearer picture of God's family being God's family through, through the avenue of work, and in this case, art, than they do when you're alone. They just do. Luke did a beautiful job of showing that to us from the Word of God this morning. And so... I think this is exciting. This may be exciting to you. If it is, I want you to talk to me, and I can give you a lot more details. Um, I can give you more information about that. So uh, thank you for listening. I just wanted to share that, that with you. Appreciate it, Kevin. Um, yeah, so talk to Kevin. You're going to be in the foyer, correct, Kevin? Okay, he'll be out there. Um, <clears throat> if you guys are interested in the next connection point uh, for Legacy Church, that's our comm groups, Communities on Mission. Luke just did, as Kevin said, a beautiful job of explaining how we do community and life here at Legacy. So if you'd like some more information on that, Nick and Emily are going to be at the map in the foyer, the big gray map that has all of our comm groups on it. They'd love to meet you, answer any questions you might have about your next connection. Um, if it is your first, second, or third time maybe uh, visiting, if you could fill out a connection card and we're going to get in contact with you. I know that I've got, I've got four numbers I need to dial this week, so if you're one of those numbers, I apologize for not getting back to you. Um, quickly. So I will be calling you this week. And if you haven't filled one of those out, I'd love for you to fill one of those out. And I'd love to meet you and talk to you. Um, the next thing real quick, something we're going to do as a church this year um, is we are, we are partnering with a local nonprofit called Feeding the Orphans. Does anybody in here know about Feeding the Orphans, heard of Feeding the Orphans? Okay. Yeah. So um, we are going to partner with those guys in the sense of they do a campaign every year called Feeding the Frock. Has anybody heard of Feeding, or Forget the Frock, not Feeding the Frock. Forget the frock. Has anybody heard about this? Okay, this is a, Roger's actually wearing a t-shirt. I just noticed that, man. Forget the frock right there. So this campaign is an Easter campaign, and I'll just give you a brief overview of what it is. We've shared the information on our Facebook page. You can go watch a video about these guys, um, what they do. And one of their, one of their arms is they, they, they do this t-shirt um, fundraiser where um, it's kind of cool. They're, 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 um, they're partnered with a t-shirt manufacturer in Haiti that these guys are orphans that have aged out of the system, and their job is to make these t-shirts, and then we turn around, Feeding the Orphans turns around and sells those t-shirts, and the proceeds go to Feeding Orphans in Africa, and so the idea is, instead of going out and spending your cash on some cool dresses and new, new kicks and things like that, it's to buy one of these t-shirts and, and rock that on Easter, so that's what we're going to be doing this year, hopefully as a church. Um, I know my family's ordered ours, um, a couple other families, Roger's actually wearing one right now. So he's already ordered his. So there's a few of us that have already done this. So you go on our website, watch the video. Um, I'm sorry, go on our Facebook page, watch the video. It'll show you how to buy those things, get those here. Easter is April 16th, I believe. Is that correct? Okay, so I know there's a deadline in order. So go ahead and get that place. Goes to a great cause, and we'd love to support this local ministry. You can check them out, uh, Feeding the Orphans. They are right here locally in Knoxville. So go watch that video. Let's pray, and we will get out of here. God, thank you for today. God, thank you for your word gifts that you've given Luke to communicate that word clearly. God, to us this morning, working through him and his words, God, we are thankful for that. God, we are thankful for 
um, people you've placed around us, kneecap to kneecap and close proximity, God, I ask that you would be with those relationships this week as we, as we uh, go about our lives throughout the week, meeting with people, um, having tough conversations, God, getting in each other's lives. Um, we are thankful for the opportunity and the ability to do that. God, I pray for each and every person in here today that they would know you, um, God, on a, on a different level after leaving here today. That this text would make them see you, your son, your spirit, God, um, in such a more clear understanding, God, than they've known before. So, God, I ask for your spirit to come and empower us, God, as we, as we go out on mission this week, as we do, do life in community groups, as we do life in DNA groups, God, as we do life in our normal, everyday rhythms, I just pray, God, that you would be with us. God, just uh, come, rescue us, be with us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week.